The movie Unbroken chronicles the life of an incredible man named Louis Zamperini, a man who defied certain death, who had faced horrible atrocities at the hands of his captors, and who struggled with how to reconcile all of that. And like his son said in the video, it's easy to talk forgiveness, but what does it actually look like? You know, all of us have been wronged in life. Many of us have faced very painful conflict in our families. Some of you are longing for a reconciliation that may never happen. So how do we find the strength to travel the path to forgiveness like Louis did? Well, today at Horizon, we are thankful to have a special guest speaker to talk to us about that very thing. So would you welcome with me Nancy Beach as she shares and we explore the freedom of forgiveness. Thank you so much. It is an honor for me to be with you today. I've so enjoyed getting to know uh, your team here, and I'm grateful uh, for this opportunity to talk with you. You know, that book, Unbroken, is probably one of the top five books I've read uh, in the last several years. My husband and I both appreciated it so much, as well as the film, and it sets the bar for a remarkable standard of forgiveness. And we're going to dive into some more content. I know you've been in this series for a few weeks. But before we do, I know that whenever I hear a new speaker, I wonder a little bit about the story behind that person or who is this person that I'm even about to listen to. Um, so just a couple things about me. First of all, the most defining moment of my life happened when I was just seven years old. Uh, I grew up in a family of faith. And there was a church that we attended that was three blocks away from our house. And in the summers, they had something called Daily Vacation Bible School. I know, it's a great name. So I would go uh, to that every summer. And I went with uh, my next-door neighbor. Her name was Janet. And we rode our bicycles the three blocks to church. And one day, the teacher there told us what it meant that Jesus would forgive our sins. And even at the age of seven... I knew that I needed that. I already knew that I needed that. And she said, not only that, he wants to be your friend and he wants to lead your life. So Janet and I got on our bicycles and we were halfway back home and I called out to her. I said, Janet, wait up. And she said, what? She thought my bike was broken or something. And I said, do you want to do it? And she said, what? And I said, you know that thing where we ask Jesus if he'll forgive our sins and if he'll lead our lives? And she said, Okay. So we stopped by a tree and we prayed together. And that moment altered the entire trajectory of my life. And I've known ever since that I'm a person who needs the forgiveness of our amazing God. The other thing I want to tell you is a little bit about my family. I've been married for 38 years to a wonderful guy named Warren. He is a commodities investment kind of guy, a numbers guy. Um, but somehow, uh, nine years into marriage, we gave birth to two girls who are not about numbers. They're about the arts, um, more like their mother. And uh, their names are Samantha and Johanna. They uh, both majored in theater in college, you know, that really practical major where you definitely get a job uh, when you're done. And so in August, my oldest uh, got married. And this was after a lot of prayer. If you have kids in their 20s, you might be praying for a partner for them. My husband and I were praying for three things for our girls. First of all, our girls are really tall. One of them is 5'11", and the other one is 5'10". 
and then you need to know that they are starving artists. So we were praying for tall, rich Christians. That's what we're looking for, for our girls. And in August, Samantha got married. We have a, a picture, not of the wedding, but just a vacation we took together about a week ago. Um, so you can see Will in the back. This is my new son-in-law. And I can tell you he's tall and he's a Christian. He's not rich. He um, majored in theater. Oh, good. So uh, two out of three we got there. The younger one is not dating anyone at the time. So if you know a tall, rich Christian, if you could meet me down front here um, afterwards... I would really appreciate it. So today we're going to explore uh, this behavior that seems so incredibly unnatural to all of us. It's a behavior that Jesus calls us to. And if you've been a part of this series, you know we are talking about forgiveness. This goes against every fiber of our being. Instead, you and I naturally, if we're talking about what's natural, is we want to lash out, right? We want to get revenge. And yet Jesus calls you and me to forgive everyone. In fact, in the prayer that many of us learned, that he taught us to pray what we call often the Lord's Prayer, right in the middle of that prayer, Jesus taught us to say, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. When you hear those words, is there a name that comes to mind? If you've been here the last few weeks, I would guess that you've had a person in your mind that you are working to forgive. You know, the study of forgiveness has become one of the hottest fields of research among experts in the area of physical and emotional health. Increasingly, research shows that being a forgiving person is actually essential to happiness. People who are unable to forgive report more stress in their lives, more illness, more visits to the doctor... Letting go of a grudge can actually lessen your stress level by up to 50%. But most of us have heard that before. You and I know in our heads, right, that forgiveness is probably good for us. In a Gallup poll, 94% of Americans said it's important to forgive. And yet, it is something that we don't frequently offer others. And I believe this is because the theory of forgiveness and the actual work of forgiveness are quite different. When we hear Jesus teaching us to forgive everyone, we may nod our head and agree with the sentiment of that good idea. But when it comes to everyday grievances and annoyances, we can probably do that. Most of us are fairly forgiving. But then, what happens when a friend betrays you? What happens when a boss misquotes you or doesn't give you credit for your idea but turn the whole company around? What happens when a husband or a wife doesn't live up to their marriage vows? What happens when a parent or a trusted adult verbally or physically abuses us, robbing us of our sense of worth and dignity? What happens when a stranger breaks into our home or a drunk driver hits someone we love? These kinds of questions beg us to say, Does forgiveness really make sense? Am I really supposed to forgive everybody? Won't it cheapen or discount or even condone the injury inflicted if I forgive? What did Jesus mean when he said that you and I are supposed to forgive everyone? Aren't there exceptions? We're always looking, right, for the exception. 
Well, I'm learning that forgiveness is not just a decision. It's actually a process. Dr. Lou Smeads wrote a great deal about this subject before his death a few years ago. And he says that forgiving is love's toughest work. And it is also love's biggest risk. Forgiveness is love's toughest work and the biggest risk. It truly is a battle, as you've been talking about here. Learning to forgive is not going to happen from a series at church. It actually takes place in the school of real life. But today we're going to explore four stages that Dr. Smeeds writes about in terms of the work of forgiveness. To make this practical, though, and very real in your own life, to move this from just theory to real-life application, I'm going to ask you to think again of the name of a person, a real person that you are working to forgive. I don't know how far along you may be in the process. Maybe you haven't even begun to forgive that person. Maybe you are in the thick of it. Now, it needs to be a person and not an institution like the government that you're mad at or (laughs) the company you work for or school or something. Not general. Think of the name of someone who has wronged you even if you don't know that person's name. You may have to dig a little bit to come up with someone you resent, and for others of you, you've thought of this person a long time ago. You walked in thinking about this person. I have a name, and I hope you do too. And my goal today is that we will walk out of here convinced that forgiveness is not impossible and that Jesus knew it was the absolute best way for us to respond to the hurts that we all face in life. So speaking of hurt... I told you we're going to talk about the four stages, and that is the first one. The very first one is hurt. This is what all of us feel after we have been wounded in some way. Now, again, I'm not talking about slight grievances. I'm not talking about little ouches that go along in the day. I'm talking about hurts that create a crisis of forgiving. And there's three ingredients to that. These are hurts that are personal, that are unfair, and that are deep. That's what we're exploring today. Hurts that are personal, unfair, and deep. Often these hurts include times when someone has been disloyal to us or even been brutal toward us. And when these deeper wounds occur, you and I have to admit the hurt that we are feeling. We need to name it if we're going to engage in the process of healing. A few years ago, I felt very betrayed by a close friend. And I had such a hard time sorting through all of my feelings. But one day, I was actually able to sit down and write the words, I feel hurt by, and I wrote his name. He violated my trust. He wounded me by his words. And it feels really, really bad. Now, I urge you not to avoid admitting your hurt because you might think it's somehow not Christian or not productive. If you try to move past the pain before you acknowledge the depth of your wound, chances are that you won't have the real deal when it comes to forgiveness. Don't rush too fast to excuse the injury inflicted on you, to ignore it, or to oversimplify what happened. Admit your hurt. But almost immediately, we go to the next phase. And after hurt, comes a word that I'm not even sure we're okay saying in church, but it's actually true. We have feelings of hate. We move from hurt 
to a feeling of hate towards that other person. And this is a very normal response. You might want to call it something else, a safer word, but it actually is hate. And this is instinctive. Dr. Grace Ketterman and David Hazard write this. Few reactions are more elemental to human nature than the impulse to take revenge, to punish someone who has done us harm. The reaction, they say, is automatic, instantaneous, and reflexive in human nature. It's known as the talionic impulse. And that term comes from a root word that means to punish in a way that exacts a penalty corresponding in kind to the crime, as in the principle of an eye for an eye. And from that root word, we also get our word retaliate, from the talionic impulse. Now, earlier, we talked about the health benefits of forgiving someone. But we have to admit that in the short term, hate can feel pretty good. Don't you feel just a little self-righteous when you hate? We like to coddle our hate, to sort of rewind the details in our mind of the horrible injury done to us, and we imagine a host of bad things happening to that other person. The more we treasure our hate, though, the more self-righteous and justified we feel in our reaction. Jesus knew that resentment and hate produce toxins in our system that eventually destroy our freedom, preventing us from abundant life. We have to understand that revenge never really gets what it wants, and it's impossible to actually even the score. I remember the days and nights after my friend had wounded me so deeply. And I was treasuring my feelings of hate. Of course, because we're both Christians, I didn't want to call it hate. But for several days, that's really what it was. I had trouble sleeping. My stomach was churning all the time, and I knew that I couldn't sustain living that way. The truth Jesus came to teach us is that hate over time will poison us. If we think we're going to be satisfied by some kind of revenge, that feeling will not last. We have to replace our hurt and our hate with a supernatural impulse, or we will destroy our spirits and lose the ability to truly love. Here's the deal. This is so important. Our hate will hurt us far worse than the other person. It's going to hurt us. You've probably heard this quote. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That's what bitterness is. We have to be careful not to confuse hate and anger. It is our hate that desperately needs healing. Anger that is healthy will lead us to make things right. Hate will only make everything worse. So how do we begin to move beyond hurt and hate? This is difficult. When C.S. Lewis was a young boy... He was badly hurt by a teacher in an English public school. This teacher made life a living hell for the young students in his class. And for most of his life, Lewis could not forgive this teacher. This really troubled him because he knew that he should forgive. Not long before Lewis died, he wrote this letter to an American friend. He said, Dear Mary, do you know, only a few weeks ago, I realized suddenly that I had at last forgiven the cruel schoolmaster who so darkened my childhood. He said, I'd been trying to do it for years, and like you, each time I thought I'd done it, I found after a week or so it had to be attempted all over again. But this time I feel sure it is the real thing. He signed it Jack, which was his nickname. 
You know, most of us want to stay planted in the stages of hurt and hate. But Jesus urges us, and this is something we can do no matter what the situation, to move to the third stage. And that is the stage of healing ourselves. With God's help, healing ourselves. Now, how do we do this? Again, I want to stress that forgiveness is a process. Rarely, especially if you have a deep wound, is this something that you accomplish in one step, in one particular moment. In fact, the worse you've been hurt, the harder it is to forgive. And I want to say something for just a moment. Because in a room this size, there are a few of you, a small percentage of you, who have experienced a level of wounding that the rest of us don't understand. There are some of you who don't know how to even begin to describe the ways in which you have been hurt. And for you, I just want to say I want to avoid any simplistic statements or lack of understanding of what you've experienced. I know that I can't fully understand your challenge. But maybe together we can explore the teachings of Jesus who taught us to forgive even our worst enemies. That's what he said. And to seek to understand how that can be possible today. The worse you've been hurt, the longer it might take you to forgive. Now I want to explore some truths about healing. First, let's be very clear about what forgiveness is not. Here's a list of what it is not. Excuse me. Forgiveness is not instant or easy. It is not condoning or excusing the wrongdoer. It is not dependent on punishment. It is not ignoring justice. It is not being a doormat. It is not a guarantee of repentance or reconciliation. It is not never remembering any part of the offense. You know, when people say forgive and forget, that may not be possible for you to completely forget. And forgiveness is not impossible, no matter how difficult it may sound. You see, we see forgiveness as as losing something. We've put an enormous amount of energy, right, into defending our position. We want to be right. I want to be the right one. I want to be the one who's not guilty. And then we think, what will I win by holding on to this hurt and anger and sadness that go along with unforgiveness? What will I actually lose if I forgive? We must admit that first, our forgiveness has to be grounded in truth. Don't tamper with the facts of what happened or excuse the offense and recognize that no one deserves to be forgiven, including me and you. No one actually deserves it. Forgiveness is an internal process. In order to heal ourselves, it's like a spiritual surgery. It's primarily for you, and it's truly the only way to begin healing the pain. And while we said it may be difficult to forgive too quickly, it is also very dangerous to wait too long. Some people hold on to these bitternesses for years. Have you ever met someone who said, yes, I have a sister, she lives in another state, we haven't spoken for 16 years? There are people who hold on to these bitternesses for so long. And the longer we treasure our hurt and our hate, the longer we allow 
this ugly destruction to happen inside of us and the worst health we will experience in our hearts, in our other relationships, in our souls, and in our bodies. At some point, you and I have to say to ourselves, with God's help, with his strength, I am ready to do the work, and it is work, and it is a battle. I am ready to do the work of moving past the hurt and the hate. I choose to begin the path of healing. I want a future that is free, free from a painful past that I cannot change. This is not a one-time decision, as I've said. It's an ongoing choice. And sometimes you're going to feel like you take three steps backwards and two steps back. You say, I thought I was there. Now I'm back in the muck again. But God, help me do the work, the work of forgiveness. I like to see forgiveness as taking the control away from my offender. When we wallow in our hurt and hate, we allow the other person far too much power in our lives. And in a very real sense, we're placing our future happiness in that person's hands. We need to seize the control back and redirect our energies. So that may sound good. How do we actually do it? To begin to heal, we must first seek understanding. And this is the part of forgiveness that makes us crazy. You see, what we require is a new insight. Actually trying to look at the other person with new eyes recognizing that their own weakness or needs may have driven the offense. Again, this is not condoning or excusing, but it is seeking to understand. And Jesus modeled this behavior. In fact, Chad talked about this last week. Let's closely examine one more time one of the most astounding statements that Jesus made while hanging in agony on the cross. First, think about his previous 24 hours. We're in the season of Lent, and we're thinking about these things. In the previous 24 hours, he had been mocked, forced to carry his cross, whipped, and nailed to a piece of wood. He was struggling to breathe while enduring torturous pain. And what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What prompted that astonishing request? I believe Jesus saw right into the hearts and souls of those soldiers and of Pilate and all the other authorities, and he knew they were threatened by his power. He saw their fear and their complete lack of understanding. He knew they were weak and lost and caught up in the fervor of the day. And seeing all of that and knowing their weakness Jesus wanted them to be forgiven. It is the ultimate example of empathy. When we seek to understand, in part, we're gathering information. Lou Smead says we feel our enemy differently after we see him or her differently. We feel them differently after we see him or her differently. This is enormously helpful to adults who are trying to forgive imperfect parents which would be all of us, basically, right? Someday, my daughters will hopefully work to forgive me for the mistakes that I've made as a mom. When we're able to let go of the fantasy that any of our parents could be perfect, when we seek to understand their own backgrounds, this was so helpful to me with my own mom in particular, to understand her background and what contributed to her story. Then we can move to understanding for times when we were hurt, by a mom or a dad. 
Even in the worst of situations, there can be some level of understanding. Now, I want to say this. In situations of abuse, I want to be clear that we should not put ourselves in a position to be hurt again. There are boundaries we must establish in order to maintain our self-respect and, in some cases, our safety. Those are completely different kinds of situations. Do you know what the Graduate School of Forgiveness is? One day, we may even be able to seek the good of the other person. This can only happen over time. When I'm in this healing stage of forgiveness, I've discovered that it actually helps me if I can pray for my offender. Now, I admit that I do that with gritted teeth at first. God, I really pray for him. My heart's not completely in it. But over time, God softens my heart as I choke out the words. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, over time, I can actually pray for the other person's good and mean it. When you first suffer a wrong, you can't get close to this stage. But with time and with the healing work of God, we can begin the miracle of seeing our enemy with less hate. One time, you know this story from the Bible, one time Jesus was asked, how many times should we forgive someone who has sinned against me? Up to seven times? Jesus replied, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, Jesus was not giving a mathematical response. He wasn't intending for you and I to pull out our phones and keep score and add up how many times. Rather, he was saying that you and I need to keep on forgiving until we can replace the hate and heal our hurt. That might require us to forgive over and over again until we are truly healed. So forgiveness is something that happens inside the person who does it. Now, you may be wondering why we haven't said anything yet about reconciliation or coming together. And I know I want to urge you, if you didn't hear uh, Pastor Chad's message last week, uh, I listened to it and it was so good about what do you do when the other person is unapologetic. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But eventually, there may be a fourth step, not always. I'm sorry, I wrote that wrong. Where we come together. This is called restoration or reconciliation. Okay? And this is the fourth phase that doesn't always happen. It sometimes happens. For reunion uh, to be the real deal, we have to understand the difference between forgiving and reunion. This comes from Dr. Smeets. Look at these contrasts. It takes one person to forgive. It takes two to be reunited. Forgiving happens inside the wounded person. Reunion happens in a relationship between two people. We cannot forgive a person who never says, he, excuse me, we can't. We can forgive a person who never says he or she is sorry. We can do that. But we cannot be truly reunited unless he or she says they are honestly sorry. We can forgive if we do not trust the person who wronged us to wrong us again. We can still choose to forgive that person, but reunion cannot happen if we find out we cannot trust the person who wronged us not to wrong us again. In other words, forgiving has no strings attached. Forgiving has nothing to do with that other person, really. But reunion has several strings attached. Obviously, reunion is sometimes plain impossible. 
such as when the other person has died or is completely unwilling to communicate. There are also times when reunion might be harmful and not advisable. The Apostle Paul gave us these very wise instructions. He said, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. As far as it depends on you. For reunion to be the real deal, it's absolutely essential that the wrongdoer understands as fully as possible the extent of the wound that he or she caused, that the hurt was deep. While you may not agree on every detail, there must be a truthful conversation where the wrongdoer listens fully, listens fully to the other person's words and really and truly hears you. There can't be any flippant, okay, I'm sorry, that do not match the level of the wrong done. Reunion also doesn't mean there won't be justice and sometimes punishment and consequences for the wrongdoer. Back in 1990, when the struggles for freedom in South Africa was reaching its climax, a group of black and white spiritual leaders from many churches gathered at a hotel. And the question at this gathering was, could the blacks ever forgive? And secondly, could blacks and whites ever be truly united as brothers and sisters? Bishop Desmond Tutu gave a response in a speech titled, We Forgive You. And here's what he said. Forgive you? Yes, said Tutu. But could there ever be a coming together? Ah, he said, that is another question. He says, those who have wronged us must be willing to make amends. He says, if I have stolen your pen, if I've stolen your pen, I really can't be contrite when I say, please forgive me, if at the same time I still keep your pen. If I am truly repentant, then I will demonstrate this genuine repentance by returning your pen. And then reunion, which is always costly, he said, will happen. It can't happen just by saying, let bygones be bygones. Really profound. There's a big difference between forgiveness and reunion. And if the offender responds aggressively or with hostility, then we must give that person a clear signal that any further dialogue will be delayed until our ground rules for dialogue are honored and respected. Please remember that if you never get to reunion, no matter how hard you may have tried, it doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. You and I can be free of their bitterness poison no matter what the other person does or doesn't do. I want to say that one more time. It's so important. You and I can be free of the bitterness poison no matter what the other person does or doesn't do. Next week, you're going to explore reconciliation and restoration further. My friends, in order for you and me to let go of the burdens of hate, we've got to do the work. And it is a battle. We've got to fight for our freedom, for our internal freedom, and for our joy. Years ago, when I gave a talk about forgiveness at my church, a woman wrote a song that went with uh, the message, and it was called Letting You Go. And we were going to do this song at the end of the, uh, the gathering, and then we had an idea. We said, you know what we picture with resentment and bitterness? It feels, and this is not unique to us, you've heard this before, it feels like heavy baggage, right? It feels like a load you're carrying. You can't be free. You can't breathe because you're carrying this load. 
And we said, what if during the song we symbolized letting go by having some people participate with us and come up to the front and let go of very heavy pieces of luggage? But we didn't want to just use random people or actors or whatever. We went to some people in the 12-step groups at our church, some people who were in the middle of divorce recovery, some people that we knew. We said to them, are you working a process of forgiveness right now? And if you are, would you help us on Sunday morning? And so as that song began to be sung, some of these folks from the 12-step groups and divorce recovery, etc., came from wherever they were sitting, and they had brought luggage with them. And they came up to the front carrying this heavy load, and they laid it in the front and then walked away as a symbol of the work that you and I need to do to release and let go. So I want to lead you as we close today in a, in a time of a guided prayer. And I want to ask you if you will again think of the name of the person that you need to forgive. And I'm going to ask you in quietness to do a process with me to imagine releasing today, letting go of that bitterness or resentment. And saying to God simply this, and some of you maybe haven't prayed to God in a long time, but simply say the name and say, God, help me. Help me to let it go. Help me to take that next step that I need to take. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in quiet. First of all, think of the name of the person you're working to forgive. You may not have even begun this process with them. Or you might be right in the thick of it now. Or maybe you thought you were already done, but it keeps creeping back. Is it a mom or a dad? Is it a close friend? A former spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend? Is it a former boss or someone where you worked? Is it a teacher? Who do you need to forgive? Who is God pressing on your mind right now? And then ask yourself, am I in a place of hurt? Am I I in that stage of hate? Do I keep reviewing in my mind all the ways this person hurt me? And why I want revenge? Or am I willing to say, God, help me move to the stage of healing? Help me let it go. Just quietly in your own spirit, just take a moment to say to God whatever you need to say about this. Like, God, I'm ready. Or, God, I need your help. God, I can't imagine getting over this. But I need your help and I want to try. Talk to him for just a moment. Maybe, even if it's with gritted teeth, you could pray for that person right now. If they're still living, uh, you could pray for that person and just say, God, help me want your best for them. Help me understand them better. Do a good work in them. Heavenly Father, 
We believe Jesus told us to forgive because he loves us so much and he wants us to be free. I pray that each one of us will let go of whatever resentments and bitterness we're holding on to. Help us give up this need to be right, to prove ourselves in some way, to coddle our hate. God, help us let it go for the sake of our souls and our health and our joy. Some of us may be prompted, if if it's not a situation of abuse, we may sense, God, that you're saying it's time to initiate a step toward that person. Maybe you're asking us before the sun goes down today to write an email or pick up the phone, send a text, ask for coffee with someone or a phone appointment, and to take that very scary first step to be the bigger person, God, and to move towards someone from whom we've been estranged for a while and to own what we need to own, to say our own sense statements of I'm sorry. Father, you said that in this world, people would know we are your children by how we love one another. May we be different than the rest of the world that's all about getting revenge and building up walls. And instead, may each one of us be a builder of bridges, even to those who have wronged us. We thank you, first of all, that you are a forgiving God and that that is our example. None of us deserve your forgiveness, and we thank you. I thank you that I learned at a very young age that you would forgive my sins. I'm so grateful for that, God. Now let me, help me, turn around and extend the same thing to all the people in my life. In honor of you, especially this time of year when we think about you giving your life for us that we could be forgiven. We love you, Father. We're grateful for a place like this where we can come and talk about the hard things of life. And we pray that each of us would have the courage to take the steps you've prompted us to take today. In the name of Jesus, our forgiver, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Nancy, for being here with us today. I will say I uh, am surprised by the name that came to mind for me. Maybe you were too, Um, but let me just encourage you to to follow through on what God may have been prompting you for whatever that name is and for whatever that step might be. And let me just invite you back because a few weeks from now, we are celebrating Easter, which as Nancy alluded to, is the time that we celebrate that he died and rose again so that I could be forgiven, so that you could be forgiven, so that every person that we just thought of can be forgiven. And so I want to invite you back. There are a number of services on Saturday and Sunday that weekend. You can find the details about those times at the table that is by the fireplace in the rear of the atrium. I also want to make sure that you remember on Saturday there are also egg drops, which means out of a helicopter, which is awesome for anybody. It is for the children. (laughs) But you can come and you can bring them, and that's a great one to just invite a friend or a neighbor to come and enjoy as well. Um, There's also a petting zoo. Uh, That is also a ticketed thing, so for both the services and the egg drop, uh, we do need you to pick up tickets so that we make sure we have room for everybody. But you can do that today at the table that's by the fireplace. Thank you for coming. May you go in forgiveness. We'll see you next week.